Hey, everybody. I've got a little bit of housekeeping here before we get into the episode about Instagram and Theology Beer Camp. So I've been getting more active on Instagram, and I just want to let you guys know, in case you want to see me make some videos where I look directly into the camera, I'm sharing some stories and posts about basically all the topics that we cover on this show over at Instagram.com slash Dan Coke. That's C-O-K-E, and the link is in the show notes. Also, Theology Beer Camp is returning in 2024, October 17th through 19th. The theme is Return of the God Pods. That is a Lord of the Rings reference, which should surprise nobody. I will be there alongside Brian McLaren, Diana Butler-Bass, the New Evangelicals, Bible for Normal People, Tony and Josh from GGCH, of course, Trip Fuller and Homebrewed Christianity, and a whole grip of others. And you can use the promo code RETURNOFYHP, all one word, for $25 off your ticket. Prices go up starting June 1st. That link will be in the notes. I hope to see a bunch of you guys there in October. It was a serious highlight of last year for me. My name is Dan Koch. Like many of you, I've been on a complicated faith journey for a number of years now. And while I tend to find myself on the progressive side of Christianity, my goal is not to make liberal converts. I want this show to be a resource for Christians to my right and to my left, as well as former Christians and non-religious folks, anyone who finds themselves asking difficult questions about God, science, prayer, fate, suffering, evangelism, and more. So many of us have been given bad answers to those good questions, often by people with pure intentions. I want to say that you have permission to take both Christianity and the modern world very seriously. And I hope to facilitate that by introducing you to people seeking God across the Christian spectrum, engaging hard questions in a multitude of ways. Thanks for listening. Hey, Joy Vetterline, thanks for being with me today for another I Don't Believe in That God episode. Hey, thanks for having me, Dan. I don't remember who sent me a post of yours or if the algorithm popped one of your videos or posts up. I think it's been like probably early COVID maybe or at least a couple years that I've followed you on Instagram and uh, you stuck around, put it that way. I didn't (laughs) unfollow you. (laughs) I didn't. That is a big compliment in today's day and age. I appreciate that. (laughs) So why don't you give us uh, just like your very basic background and and if you just want to say evangelical blank blank then we can fill in those uh, okay. details we, we're all we all know that but but anything that deviates from sort of a standard yeah. story we'd, we'd love to hear more detail yeah well yeah I was born while my dad was in seminary so I was born into a trajectory of pastor's kid my whole life yeah my parents were like hippies who kind of came to Jesus in the 70s like that you know, as many did. Um, yep. well, that's so... another That's another part we can <laughs> fill in the gaps on. Jesus right. movement, boomer Christians, we got yeah. it. Yeah, I mean, they were a little like, they like lived in the woods without electricity. But, okay, they, um, they were the OGs. They do, yeah, yeah they, they went hard. Pastor's kid, a small town in Alaska actually is where I grew up. Did the whole thing. I was a good girl. I went to Bible camp, you know, all those 
pretty common uh, 80s, 90s evangelical upbringing. And then uh, around uh, ninth grade, we had a really painful break from that church. My dad got really hurt, stabbed in the back, as is all too common in so many people in ministry. And so we moved to Washington State. I went to high school there. I think despite all the hurt I'd been through for me as a Christian at that point, that's like when I really made my faith my own and, and developed my own relationship with God. Because for a season, it was just like I hadn't, I mean, ninth grade is a pretty rough time to move and start over. Yeah. And there was a season in my life where it was truly like Jesus was my only friend. And the connection I felt to him, I would like walk, talk to him as I walked around the halls. I mean, that was really where it was just I developed a relationship with Jesus. And yeah. that was incredibly meaningful to me. So that stayed with me. I went to Bible college and then after I graduated, started working three days later for a church. So I was like just in the pipeline of ministry from day one <laughs> and uh, stayed in there. I was we're always worked in worship ministry as a musician and artist and creative. And I loved the creative outlet. It was like it's such a dream for an artist, right? Here's this like captive audience showing up every week and like they just have to consume the videos I'm making or the things I'm writing or the music I chose or whatever, you know, it's really artist friendly because, and and it's not in that sense, like consumer friendly, you know, it's, (laughs) it's sort of like uh, if your friends were constantly making movies that you had no choice, but to go see. Yes. Spoiler alert, I'm not in church anymore, but um, that's one thing I really miss about it deeply was that there was such an opportunity for for that creative expression. So, yeah, anyways, I, uh, yeah, just kept kind of like building my career in what I'll call the church industry. (laughs) Um, Kind of rose up through the ranks, got married, had kids, things changed, uh, had a season working for uh, some parachurch organizations doing like writing and through for a publisher, making curriculum, videos, that kind of thing. And then eventually found myself right after the birth of my second child as getting hired as a pastor of worship arts and communication for um, a church here in Southern California. And I was so proud of that job. I mean, this has been my life's work, my life's dream. I finally arrived. I'm only like 35 and I'm here, you know, and I have it all. I have the kids and the, this is going to be where we, we're going to like put down roots here and my kids are going to grow up, hit this church and go to yeah. high school here. And and I was really excited and I really loved the church, but it ended up being a really, really hard season. Hardest couple of years of my life. I didn't know anything about mental health or, you know, healthy boundaries. And uh, after the birth of my second kid, I really struggled. I think looking back now, I think I was dealing with some postpartum, but I just didn't know what that was. And I had some really bad theology around what's okay in relationships. You know, I didn't understand that forgiving each other doesn't apply necessarily to real toxic environments. And so I was um, just kept showing up to get emotionally flogged every day. Yeah. A really unhealthy place. And that really took a toll on me. And so um, after only a couple of years, the, the church went through some financial problems and a plant folded back in. 
And then there were suddenly like two people who did my job and the other guy had grown up at the church. And it was just like one afternoon I came into my office. There was nobody there except for the senior pastor, who's my boss and my friend who had really advocated for me to get in this role. And within like 15 minutes, it was like, hey, you like when we look at the future, we don't see you as part of it. Like today's your last day. We've cleared out the office. No one's here. Here's a box. Like sign these papers. And it was just like, I mean, I, I, at the moment, I couldn't even understand the magnitude of what was happening, but I felt it like my body knew, you know, Sure. just that not only was this the loss of a job, this was the loss of a community. I mean, I had to like pack up my office and then like walk down the hallway and get my daughter from preschool because, you know, it was like our everything was there. What I didn't realize in that moment was that it was also the loss of a career because there's really you know, in sports, there's only so many times you can like get the same injury before you're just like, you have to retire. Mm. I think for me, this was like, there's only so many times you can like get hurt by the church before you just kind of have to like, you can't come back from that and you step away. And so I think for me, that was, that was the, that was the final blow. I stepped away and that kind of started a process of like waking up to my life and looking to see like, wait, I've been on this trajectory. Did I choose it? Or has this just been the natural path? And so that's led to a lot of things that I'm sure we'll get into. But Wow. Okay. Thank you for that. So I think it's really interesting that it did include your career. That is something that I think is really not looked at very often, certainly not in this kind of deconstruction post-evangelical space. The the system hurts congregants when it's, when it's unhealthy, but it kind of hurts its own, like even can hurt them even more when it's unhealthy because you got more hooks. Yeah. You know, like you're, you're picking your daughter up from preschool is a great example. Like, Oh, so (laughs) like the, the educational and social formation of my child that also now has been cut off or this, my boss was also a good friend. Like that's another, that's like a, another cord that gets severed. One of the things I hope to do in the next couple of years is actually to do some spiritual abuse research on spiritual abuse of clergy, Mm -hmm. not of congregants uh, and look for kind of differences and, and commonalities there because I think it's not very well understood. I certainly don't understand it very well. So that's just kind of the first thing that comes to mind. If I'm being honest, that is like been the most painful part of it is to be now, you know, at this stage in my life, I just turned 40 this year and to be like, I'm starting over. Like there's like pride wrapped up in that. There's a lot of identity wrapped up in that. Mm -hmm. Like, and, you know, we always joked when we worked in the church that like, gosh, hope I don't ever have to get a job outside the church because this resume is not going to be too attractive in the corporate world. And like, guess what? Like some of us are living that now. And it's really yeah. true. Like, you know, m- me doing stage design for an Easter service isn't like, hey, hire me to do your corporate event, even though the skills are the same, you know, it, it's really different. And there is this this imperative on the people who work in a church that it becomes this really weird us versus them where like 
they are the congregants and we are here to serve them. And so we are going to give up our Christmases and we need to nurture our families because we give so much because they need um, to be encouraged to live Jesus. And it gets really messy. I describe it as saying like, they hire you as family but they fire you as employees. Like when, when we got the job, it was like my husband and I are, and the kids are all on the stage and they're thanking God for what he's done and for how he's led us to be there. And, and then when I got let go, it's me and my boss and the HR lady in a cold room with a cardboard box. And it's like, well, where's the family now? Like this was never a family. It just felt good to call me the family, but don't call me a family. You were never my family. You know, like if this, if this is the possible ending of this relationship, this is not family because family doesn't do this to each other. And so, yeah, I think that was part of the reason I just started stepping back and being like, wait, whoa, whoa, whoa. Like we've been, I've been believing every, I've been believing you when you said we're brothers and sisters, but this isn't actually true. Like what else isn't true? Like what else have you been telling me isn't Mm -hmm. true? What else do I need to reevaluate and step back and like, disentangle my own heart from, I guess, because it was not healthy and I just didn't know better. I think that religion at its best can refine and support the ways in which we show up for people. You know, collective corporate religion can like gather money and do pretty incredible things for the world. Yeah. But something evangelical Christianity tends to do is to take credit for every good thing of humanity and say, oh, I showed up for this person because I have the spirit of God in me. And and I felt compelled by the Holy Spirit to show up for them. And we'll be like, bless you, you know, like God, Uh you know, thank God you listened to that nudging. And I think that was the one of the most shocking things for me throughout my process was realizing like, oh, that wasn't a Christian thing. Like that was a human thing. Like it can be a Christian thing if the person who's doing it is a Christian, but Christians do not own the monopoly on showing up for people in hard times, on doing good in the world. And I Mm -hmm. felt a little bit duped, I guess. Like, oh, like all this stuff I thought I was doing was like, could have been like everybody's doing like, I didn't have the special version of it. This gets into theology for me in an interesting way. Okay. And it be- has become more real because clients I work with will have, have a wide array of how they talk about or think about faith or spirituality. Mm-hmm. I have clients who know me from the podcast. And so they, you know, they're coming from a particular place where they feel comfortable. But then I have all these clients that I've had and some, some of whom I still have from like my internship spots who have not, don't know anything about this. They still don't know. <laughs> I don't tell them <laughs> they're not, life. <laughs> they're not with me be, to talk about religion. They are, they yeah. came for psychotherapy, you know, for yeah. depression, trauma, OCD, whatever they came for. And the variety of, of people's expressions of this stuff is kind of dazzling and and becomes very clear when you see people back to back hour after hour who think Mm -hmm. so differently and talk so differently about it. So one thing that's so like in response to what you're saying about taking credit for everything, there is a way in which that kind of credit taking and ascribing everything to God in a straightforward way is, is almost definitely false. 
-hmm. there is a false way even of just kind of, I, I even want to say like a way of falsely being human where you're just kind of saying everything is because of this and you're like reading a script essentially. Mm -hmm. And that's really inauthentic and will catch up with you like mm -hmm. that. You will, you will pay the price for that, whether or not you recognize that you are for that inauthenticity. Yeah. But then there's a way of like, well, it might be like the, the over spiritualization of everything being the spirit. Then there's this interesting theological way that sometimes is the better approach to take, especially with clients who are in a lot of pain mm -hmm. where it's like, well, who am I to say? <laughs> like yeah. if, for instance, this universe with all its gravitational constant and all the fine tuning stuff, like just the sort of small M miracle that we get to live and be alive and experience beauty and art and fall in love. And, you know, if all of that comes from something else, then there is probably a way in which we can use that language and even mean it as true in some sense. And sometimes that's re really better for a client. Mm -hmm. And sometimes that's how I think about it. I've had children clients who have dealt with loss mm -hmm. and they will, they will make meaning out of that. Right. And that meaning is in childlike language. So let me, I'll come up with a non-real example that kind of approaches what I'm talking about. A kid, their parent had to move back to their home country and they're separated from them, for instance. Mm -hmm. And they say, but every time that it rains, I think that's my, that's my dad giving our house a bath because he always used to give me a bath. Mm -hmm. Okay. Let's say mm -hmm. that's not a real one, but mm -hmm. that gets at what I'm saying. Now, obviously that's false. Right. <laughs> uh, water mm -hmm. con condensates and turns <laughs> into clouds. Okay. But if the love of a father for a child is a part of this universe that was created by God, then in some sense to the brain of a six-year-old, like that is her dad giving her a bath, right? Like, like it is in a sense, like I can actually mean that in a pretty straightforward way where I can affirm that for mm -hmm. that kid, mm -hmm. even though I don't affirm it literally. Do you know what I'm saying? So that's, yeah. that's where it gets interesting theologically for me is to like put, draw those connections. Cause who am I to say? I mean, yeah. if God were to be in the room, would God go, no little, no little Jenny, <laughs> that's not your dad. That's something else. Mm -hmm. Or would God go, mm -hmm. yeah, that's your dad mm -hmm. washing your house because he used to yeah. give you a bath because he loves you. You know, I don't know. Yeah. No, I actually think I agree with you. And in my mind, these are almost like two separate things. So okay, I think the more. part I would react against is saying, is these claims that I'll keep saying evangelical Christianity not meaning all particular yeah. evangelicals, but just the system as a whole has a tendency to, as you said, over-spiritualize everything, claim goodness for itself as an exclusive bonus of being a Christian, that this is the only place, this is the only belief system in which you will find this. If you are not a part of this, then you are outside of all of these good things. You are outside of ever getting to have pure intentions towards someone. That's what I react against. I think where I am now is that I, I 100% agree with you. I think that 
all we can do in life is to find our way through it and that different worldviews and belief systems work really well for different people. And I'm not here to say, I'm not even here to say that about evangelicalism. There are some people for whom the belief system and the worldview that they've developed through evangelicalism is so comforting to them. It is the only way they are going to find the grace to cope with whatever they go through life. As you said, who am I to take that away from someone? I'm not interested in claiming that I know. I am more interested in saying, I don't know. So it could be yours. Just don't tell me that it's definitely yours because it could also be mine. And and it's funny, this example you have of the boy who thinks his dad is, you know, reigning. Like after all the research I've done into the more like woo-woo side of mysticism, I'm like, maybe it actually could be (laughs) like maybe there is some like mysterious way in which his dad is present in the rain like I don't have a problem say I'm not gonna tell like you said I'm not gonna tell some kid like I might believe it's a scientific phenomenon but I'm not gonna say there's no mystery here like it can be both like if you go all the way back to why is there a universe at all for us to live these lives if you think there's intentionality in that fact Mm -hmm. then it is reasonable to say that some of these things might come from that intentionality from God, ultimate reality, the, you know, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. Uh, Okay. Let's talk about this moment. So uh, this crux moment for you. So you go, I love, I love that teaser of what else was not true. So joy, what else did you find was not true? Well, it was a really interesting season for me leading up to this day, to this one afternoon in January when, you know, my world kind of split in two. <laughs> I could say the curtain was torn in two, but I will not. <laughs> <laughs> you already um, did. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, no, it was a real, a real start before and after. But leading up to this, there was just this sense in me. There was things stirring in me. I don't know if it was my age or the second kid and the sleepless nights or just realizing like something here wasn't right. But I just had this real sense of like my eyes were being opened to things. I was like, this doesn't feel like, this doesn't feel like Jesus to me. Going to well-attended leadership conferences, (laughs) you know, that have a, a very strong brand in the Christian leadership settings. And just sitting there and watching like the swagger with which the speakers took the stage, looking at worship culture, meeting other worship pastors in my area and how invisible I was as a woman of who wasn't in her early 20s yeah, and how little input they thought. I could have into a conversation. I, you know, I went to coffee with one guy trying to be like, Hey, I'm like the worship, you know, pastor of the church, we should connect. And he didn't even make eye contact me. He talked over me. He like totally dismissed everything I said. And there was just this sense of like, ew, like who, Yeah, this isn't holy. This isn't like humble. This isn't. So I had a real, um, I had a real ick around the worship industry. And I was trying to like make changes in my church and hitting a lot of resistance. Like part of the reason it wasn't going well is like, surprise, (laughs) people don't like it when you tell them like, you know what, let's not have like a big sound system on Christmas. Like, let's just like, you know, let's, let's not be all flash. And like, no, they wanted the flash. Mm -hmm. And so I had some unrest and I was starting to like, 
I mean, it was a big deal for me to even take a job as a pastor. Like I was raised in a pretty conservative setting. Complementarian was was the understated norm. It wasn't like hard line. Um, You know, I didn't have it as badly as some people did. But there was a sense of like, you know, no, our women are directors. They can work here, but they're directors Mm -hmm. and they don't preach, you know, and they make a little less than the pastors. And, you know, you know, this guy who's like 20 is a pastor, but she's like 55 and like one of our prayer warriors, but she's not a pastor, you know, and there's just this. So for me to get over that and be like, oh my gosh, like I could be a pastor, like that could be a calling, like I can be someone who could help like shepherd souls. And and that's one thing I'm thankful to this pastor who ended up firing me is that he said, you're doing the work to pastor souls, to shepherd souls. So I'm going to call you a pastor. Like, I'm not going to make you go through a bunch of hoops. And I I so appreciate that. I'm so grateful that he saw that in me because I feel like that in some sense, I'm still doing that a little bit. So I had had a few things already start to shift, like something's not right. When this final shoe dropped, it was the first time in my life that my livelihood was detached from my belief system because I'd had those thoughts. I'd had some questions. I'd actually started wrestling with like, what does it really mean that Jesus was on the cross? Realistically, it was only a day and a half. People suffer longer than that all the time. Women are in labor longer. Like, why do we make such a big deal of his pain? You know, like I I was, there was some disconnect. I wasn't getting any satisfactory. And so some big questions, but because I had signed a statement of faith that said, I believe these things in order to work here. Well, I have two kids. They need to go to urgent care sometimes. I can't, I don't want to pay that out of pocket. Like I can't afford to like ask hard questions. Like, yeah, the incentive structures, right? Yeah, exactly. Right. There was no, it was, it was terrifying to consider. I could I couldn't, my brain could not go there. I, I felt it shutting down mm-hmm. around these questions and just pivoting, you know, onto the next. Once that was gone though, it was like, well, I've already lost everything now. Like it's all gone. I finally, for the first time in my life, my dad's not connected to a church. I'm not attending a Christian college. I'm not working for a church. Like, what do I think? And it was this, this season, a, f- a few months where I just like, I went on long walks on the beach and I just said like, what if, like no holds barred. And because, you know, from that time when I was 14 and I developed this really deep interpersonal, like personal relationship with God, like I I felt safe when it was just me and God. I felt safe asking those questions. I felt safe challenging and and asking and i think for me realizing like i had thought if i could just find the right church i would stop getting hurt but this made me realize that every church i had been a part of or connected to had hurt me or somebody that i loved and i had been working with enough churches by that point networked with churches around the country and talking to people and i was like you can't be in ministry and not know. And it's like the inside joke around anyone you meet ever. And it's like, oh, you know, it's like not a matter of if you're going to get absolutely destroyed and betrayed. But when? Mm-hmm. Like, t- show me somebody in ministry and like, we'll swap war stories. And if they don't have one yet, it's because they haven't been in ministry long enough. And I'm like, how does this keep happening? Like, what? You know, when you're troubleshooting, you're trying to get to like, okay, what's the underlying thing? Like my computer's not turning on. Is it the, is it my power cord or is the power off in the whole house? And when I got to the bottom of this and really started evaluating, I'm like, this isn't just these churches I've been. 
this is something wrong with the whole system. This is happening across the board. And that was terrifying because that gets to predict some pretty foundational belief systems. And so I think for me, that was when I started. I didn't know it was called deconstruction then, but I started thinking like, oh no, if the fruit is rotten and it is, this, whatever I believe is not bearing good fruit in my mm-hmm. life. Whatever version of the gospel I have right now, this is not good fruit. Yeah. And my belief in God is giving me the confidence to trust that intuition, that spirit talking to me to say something's wrong with the tree. What's wrong with the tree? And so then as I started expressing myself online and seeing more of these like, oh, what's deconstruction? What is evolving faith? What is, you know, what is the word exvangelical? And and being exposed to all this one, it was like, wait, I'm not the only one who's thinking this. This is a huge problem. And also like, man, if we're hurting people right and left, which we are, the stories are out there. The evidence is there. Like, how are we not reevaluating all of this? How are we not ripping everything down to the studs and saying like, is the foundation cracked? Like, where's the, where's the root of the problem? Cause this is a problem and we need to fix it. So that was really like, for me, what launched me into, okay, like what do I like? Okay. Well, I guess I have to question everything then to, you know, make sure it's good. So like, let me go back to the Bible and let me go to hell. And, you know, I'm mm-hmm. reading, start reading Pete ends and I'm like, oh no, yeah, <laughs> like yeah. this is blowing everything up. Everything I thought I knew, everything yeah. I thought I could return to and land on is changing. And it was a very disorienting process as I'm sure many of the deconstructioners as i call them that you've talked to have shared it's a very disorienting but very freeing process as well my wife and i are just days away from the birth of our second son and so if you are hearing this now It means that I am currently getting no sleep and I will not be conducting any you have permission interviews for the next few weeks. Don't worry. We've already we've banked a bunch of them ahead of time. So there will not be any sort of significant break in the action from your perspective uh, unless something else happens. So no big deal there. Um, And I'm not I'm not here asking for, you know, a sympathy Patreon contribution or anything like that. I'm just letting you know that this ad is going to be running for a month or two because I'm not going to want to record another one and tell you about the the perks of becoming a patron at patreon.com slash Dan Coke. Those perks include, of course, two exclusive episodes per month not available on the main feed, at least not the whole thing on the main feed, access to the Facebook group, which is for patrons only, and every episode of this podcast ad-free on the special patron feed, which comes into your email inbox once you sign up and you can add it to your regular podcast app and you can listen to all these episodes, the normal ones, not just the patron ones, without any ads. So that's why you might go to patreon.com slash dancoke and give seven bucks a month to be a part of the Patreon community. You might also do it 
mainly because of the Facebook group and the resources there and the community there. There's any number of reasons, really, why you might want to do this. You might think of it as like a, a, a shower present for a new baby. You might just feel bad for me. And maybe you've been here uh, before. Maybe you've been here more than two times. And you know just how exhausted I will be for the foreseeable future. Either way, thank you for being a regular listener of this show, whether or not you join the Patreon community. I don't really care. I'm grateful for your involvement. Thanks for listening, thinking through this stuff with me. I appreciate all the emails I get from listeners. Feel free to send those. This is getting too long for a Patreon ad, so I will end it here. Patreon.com slash Dan Koch. Our family of now four. Thanks you. I'm interested in that moment when you're walking on the beach. I love that you, by the way, good storytelling that you you. made sure to hit early (laughs) on this idea that you had developed this sort of conversational relationship with God. Uh, There's really interesting sort of sociological research about that, um, especially Tanya Lerman's work uh, with uh, vineyard Mm. churches in the Midwest, like the way that our expectation shapes our experience and that we, we can't like you basically were able to shape your experience where that was normal for you. And, Mm -hmm. and this source of ending up being this source of great comfort and stability. Mm -hmm. What I'm wondering is if you were motivated by other people going to hell, if you didn't do a good enough service, why were you not afraid of yourself going to hell when you deconstructed? Let me see if I can get back to where I was emotionally at that time. And not that you should have. I'm not, yeah. I'm not saying that, I'm not saying you should have. I just, I'm, I'm curious what, why, cause, and I never, I've never been worried about going to hell either in all my stuff. That's never been yeah. a concern for me, but for a lot of people it is. And so I, I'm just curious. Yeah. I just posted a reel about this yesterday. I think part of it is that I did have like once saved, always saved theology. <laughs> so there's a oh, yeah. bit I of saw, a safety I net. I saw that post. Yeah. Is that like, yeah, there's some sense of like, I've got, I got room. Like I, you know, I'm good. Mm-hmm. But I think in some ways I would, I didn't know it, but I think I had lost a little bit of my belief in hell without even realizing it. I think just being around so many people, I think I was skeptical of it. And I think I was sort of going through the motions of wanting to win people to hell, but the tactics were so off-putting that I was like, this, this doesn't feel right. So how could, why should I do something that doesn't feel right? Like, and again, like the whole of my Christian discipleship was getting me to the point where I trust this voice of God inside me more than I trust the voice of man. Right. So this is where it started getting really messy because like, well, now what do I do when the voice of God inside me that I have been, you know, encouraged to develop is disagreeing with what other people are telling me. That's the voice when of God it gets interesting. <laughs> That's when it gets interesting. So yeah. I think like I had all these good, I had these neighbors that I just loved and we were so close and I, none of them were Christians. And I was like, Oh guys, like we're having a Christmas service. You should come. And they're kind of like, okay, like why are you are you really doing this right now? And it was just kind of like, no, I cannot, I cannot do this. Like I can't break these relationships. Mm-hmm. And so I kind of at that point was just like, you know what? This isn't my thing. I cannot do this. Like, 
And I think somewhere in my mind, that was sort of me shedding like, I can't believe it just isn't making sense with my real experience of life. I wouldn't have articulated it like that. Sure. But I think because I did have that long history of like, I knew myself because um, I had been talking to God conversationally so long. I just, it didn't really occur to me that I might be going to hell. And I know for some people that fear is so real. Yeah. I didn't really feel that. I think for me, the loss I was experiencing in the moment was hard enough. I didn't need an extra, like, I couldn't like get beyond it. The pain was so intense. It was like sort of in hell, I guess. So. Wow. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I do think there's something really deep and interesting about the, I, I kind of want to call it bodily almost. It, it interacts with the body when we feel accepted by God and safe. Mm-hmm. My own sort of final gear of deconstruction uh, where, which for me was, was actually just admitting to myself that I was a liberal or progressive Christian, mm-hmm. that I was like, probably going to be like a no miracles guy, like mm-hmm. that I was going to be in that line of thinkers, which was mm-hmm. so demonized growing mm-hmm. up. I couldn't admit that to myself until I felt viscerally accepted by God through contemplative practice. Mm-hmm. Um, and then meeting a couple, and I've, I've talked about this before a while ago, meeting Tom Ord, meeting Keith Ward, uh, maybe Pete a little bit. Um, and, and, and just like seeing these guys who were obviously faithful mm-hmm. and also were obviously liberal in their views mm-hmm. But, mm-hmm. but, uh, the other prerequisite was, was that felt sense of acceptance. Yeah. And I think yeah. that that might, that might be another thing for which, I mean, I think you did mention to, for being grateful for that, like that, cause then if you feel safe in your body, yeah. then all of a sudden it, it, it sort of makes a lot of room for yeah. difficult questions to ponder. You know, we always say like, God can handle your questions. And I was like, all right. Like, yeah, and I got to this point where I was like, you know what? I think God not only like can handle my questions, I think he likes them. And I think he's like, you know, I I remember writing something early in the days where I'm like, I actually think like he's inspiring my questions. Like it was sort of like this whole thing was sort of felt almost orchestrated by someone else. Like, hey, like like come on out of church like we want you know like let's go play out here like it's too like this isn't working like come on out like here's here's the questions that will get you out of the door of this place that's hurting you into a place where you can be safe and free and like if that doesn't sound like god leading someone to healing i don't know what does you know for me as a you know i was a philosophy undergrad and have this kind of very analytical mind Mm mm-hmm one of the really big like fulcrum points for me in kind of breaking that stalemate mentally was reading Christian Smith's book, the Bible made impossible and being Mm -hmm. convinced of the idea of the multivocality of scripture, that scripture involves differing voices Mm -hmm. arguing with each other inside Mm -hmm. it. And Mm -hmm. that's why you can't get it all together into one Mm -hmm. system Mm -hmm. what that unlocked, I mean, oh my gosh, like 
once I was no longer looking for an airtight system, it yeah. freed up so much like yeah. processing power. I don't have you yeah. want to, whatever analogy you want to use, but yeah. then it was like, Oh, like what we're doing is, is as much art as it is science. Absolutely. Here, you know? I mean, I had a similar experience. I think for me, it was again, Pete N's book that I was like, Oh, well, this is a collection of stories of people trying to figure out God. Yeah. Not only then does that release this book from the burden of having to hold everything and releases me from its authority, but Mm -hmm. it also validates my story because I am a person trying to figure Mm -hmm. out God and I can't ask them questions. I can't know what their experience was or their culture, but I can know my story. And so just like the, you know, for the Bible to have been up here, you know, like so far above me and me to be below its authority and to have that realization of like, oh no, like, I still, I'm not going to say like, it's, you know, I know so many people revere it as sacred. I'm not going to like impugn that value people put in it, but in my own life, like my own story and the story of people around me are just as valid in informing my life as the stories of people experiencing God that are recorded in the Bible. Yeah. I think of it now as wisdom tradition type stuff where it's like, The stuff in the Bible was the good stuff. Yeah. And that's why it's in the Bible. Yeah. Like, and, you know, there might be some exceptions to that, but essentially, you know, when Paul says all scripture is useful for teaching, rebuking, whatever, like that's kind of literally true. It's useful for Uh these things. And that's why it's in and other stuff's not in because people wrote and said, and if you imagine Imagine the immensity of the oral tradition that the Israelites shared around campfires that didn't make it into the Bible. Uh-huh. They're talking every fucking night for <laughs> a thousand years. Okay. I mean, the like, classics. This is the best. Hits it's the, cl- it's the greatest the ancient hits. Oral tradition. That's yes, what the Bhagavad hits. Gita is. That's what, yeah. you know, that's what the Tao is like the, like human beings are trying to survive and then they are trying to thrive. And if some wisdom or whatever, if they find it helpful toward Mm -hmm. that end, then it gets passed on. And if they don't, they forget it. And like, it's like a, it's like a very slow, inexact peer review process over thousands of years. With, and I will say this caveat, yes, to a point, because it's always been men deciding what matters and what stories count. Yeah. So with the caveat that like a good percentage of the meaningful stuff was not included in there. (laughs) Like this is a sampling of the, (laughs) of the things, but I'm sure there's some, you know, wisdom of women. That's very inconvenient for men that did not get included in these. Absolutely. So it's a, a biased representation of, greatest hits of yeah well and you know one of some of the things that people found really useful probably people in power were lines like slaves obey your masters Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know so like yeah what i just described as being greatest hits wisdom tradition doesn't mean it's all true right it just means that that's why it's there and then that's a good point then the fun part of discernment starts so now enter you and your and this is why i am an existentialist christian because this was kierkegaard's 
whole thing as the grandfather of existentialism was saying, look, regardless of what any system says that you've been brought up in at that time to be Danish, a Danish citizen was to be a Christian. Like it Mm -hmm. was like, it was just like you got your citizenship card when you got baptized or confirmed. Mm -hmm. Like, Mm -hmm. and he's like, no, 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 no. Like you are Abraham with Isaac on the mountain. Like you have an individual life to lead before God. Mm. You are like a ship captain who is steering the ship of your life during a storm. You can't pause the storm. You can't just say, well, we all go left. Yeah. <laughs> Portward. I don't know how to yeah. steer a ship. Obviously I'm not a, I'm not a sailor <laughs> uh, or a ship's captain. I have a friend who's actually a licensed ship, ship's captain. He will, not he'll know the right words. from your boat. I'm not podcasting from my, my pleasure <laughs> yacht. Like you stand before God in some senses alone. Now, of course you do that in community and there's, you know, we our understanding of like the ways in which each human being is actually fundamentally connected to other human beings has really grown since Kierkegaard's time. But the point is still there of like, yeah. So now what are you going to do with this wisdom literature and what, what are you going to say about it? Yeah. Who do you say that I am to quote Jesus? And, and then I got to go, Oh yeah. Okay. Well, I'll get back to you. I will have an answer on my deathbed. <laughs> yeah. Like what I did with that, but maybe that's a good transition into like, where, where have you come to? Like, yeah. first of all, how many years has it been? I, I didn't get a good sense of, so you're 40. What, what, how old were you then? In January, it will be five years since this day that I lost my job. The conversation. And started the process. Okay. So it's been, a, it's been a, yeah. yeah, five years. Mm -hmm. I went through, you know, I hopped on my sled and started going down the slippery slope. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So I first kind of went through uh, contemplative Christianity. That was a real comfortable spot to be in. And then maybe a little more progressive Christianity. Um, And then I kind of got to the part where it started getting a little scary because when I, after, you know, my background of being born into a family in seminary, for me to start pushing the boundaries of anything labeled Christianity was really terrifying. I'm sure. Yeah. But again, through this time, I had started therapy and had come to realize there was reasons why I was, you know, doing all this stuff and and really was able to greet my internal self. Like I had been talking in my mind, talking to God all of this time. And I was able to realize that while I believed I was talking to God, in all of these conversations, I had also been talking to myself and that there was a true totally part of me that was in there and that was beautiful and that was wise and that I was trustworthy and that I should listen to and that she was safe. She takes good care of me. And the, you know, I'm, I'm thinking I probably, she didn't call it that. I'm thinking my therapist had a little bit of like IFS in there because I was like internal family talking systems, to my yeah. protector and um, talking yeah. to, mm-hmm. and was like, oh, she's like a 13 year old. Like she's not the boss. Like I can be the boss. I can like be like, thank you for protecting me. But like, I got it now. Like, no, we're not going to go back to situations where people are just mean to you all the time. Like we're, we don't do that anymore. You can trust me. Sounds like it was um, yeah, and some IFS stuff. Yeah. Which is really helpful for that. By the way, a great tool for this kind of transition in life. Especially when so much of your view of the world was formed at those super young ages. Absolutely. And, you know, Absolutely. your your faith was essentially like loyalty to the things you learned when you were yeah, five. Loyalty like, to your parents and family. Yeah. yeah. It absolutely. And How dare you want to challenge what you learned in kindergarten? You know, right. like. 
Josh will put a link to the Molly LaCroix episode where we talk all about IFS and people's faith journeys. Great, great conversation if people want to dig deeper there. Okay. But pushing the boundaries of Christianity and really over the last few years, I think I got to the point where I realized that I didn't necessarily believe in the Bible as the sole authority. I didn't believe in hell. And and when I got to this point, I really found myself on this edge, sort of like I was like on the edge of Christianity and I was peeking over the edge. And I realized I had a choice. And I realized perhaps more than ever that religion is an individual, can be an individual choice. And I recognize that there are some people for whom remaining within the boundaries, the umbrella of Christianity is the best choice they can make for their life. They will thrive there, putting down roots. They do not need to go explore beyond it. You get one life. Go where he feels like home. And so it was really healing for me to recognize that as well and to not hold it again. You know, you know, there were phases where it was like, oh, Christianity is horrible. It's hurt me so much. But to, to get to this point where I'm like, no, Christianity is can be beautiful. But I get to choose where I find my home. And in that moment, the increasing sense of like self that I had developed and getting to know myself, I realized like, I am not someone for whom that is going to feel like home, be it through just the amount of trauma I've now experienced, the fact that holding a Bible triggers me, the fact that going to a church service triggers me, the fact that I have so many painful memories surrounding the words and the practices of Christianity. I felt released to go find my version of life where I could be healed, where I could be free. And it was this sense of like this Jesus person I had followed and loved that had been with me since I was 14, even since earlier I'd had these personal interactions. And it was like, I always say it was like, I it's like I followed Jesus out of Christianity. I followed Jesus out of believing in Jesus. And for me, that was just like, I have the autonomy to go where it's going to fuel me. So, so where I find myself now, I have taken off the umbrella of Christianity. I do not subscribe to that label. For me, the, the traditions, the doctrine, they do not add anything to my life. I am not somebody, I'm not a philosopher. I am not an academic. I do not love getting down into hermeneutics. I do not want to study ancient texts the harm inflicted by these just like centuries of institutionalized religion, that is too much for me to bear and still thrive. So I have removed myself from the equation. And so now I am in this space where I don't really have a label for it yet. That's sort of my like ongoing creative venture. Um, I've heard the word spiritual humanist. I like that. John Ogden said that. I don't know if you've ever talked to, um, heard of Uplift Kids. You might enjoy that um, connection. They do a world wisdom curriculum for children. But yeah, just the sense of like, I have a hard time thinking there's nothing greater. I do not necessarily think it's good for my children to not believe that there's a greater force. 
but I'm very hesitant to label it, to claim knowledge of it, to claim certainty of it. And I don't find that having a real strong religious practice in my life makes my life better. I thrive on a lazy Sunday morning. (laughs) Pieces have started coming back. Like the process of journaling and introspection, I used to call that a quiet time. Now I can just do that without all the shame because I like it. You know, I don't, I don't need the, the like, you should be like doing all this, which is, was in my head for a long time. So as I heal pieces of the past that I did love are coming back to me, this sense of like prayer, this conversation with, you know, this seems to be the theme of this podcast is just developing this internal conversation. So I really am open. I try to hold, you know, I will joke about, you know, the funny quirks of Christianity. I will call evangelicalism out hardcore because I think that is a very harmful system. And for when people remain in it, if they find meaning in it, that's fine, but you can't ignore the harm being done as well, you know, but um, I'm never going to tell someone that like, it's wrong for them to be a Christian. And here's the reasons why I have proven, you know, here's, here's this book that proves why the Bible is wrong. Like it just, it's not a priority. Like there is enough going on in the world if I can get my own self to a place of being grounded and as healthy as possible, raising kids that have a sense of self and identity and safety, and then with whatever else is left, offer to the world this sense of freedom and help other people find the courage to stand on their own convictions and find their own path. Like, that's all I got to give. That's what I have to give. And I'm not, I don't care. I love that there are people within Christianity who are passionate about making it good because there are people who are still getting hurt and still getting, you know, betrayed and destroyed just like I was. And I want people in the church to go hug all those people, you know, to to see it. I no longer feel obligated to be the one to do that. And yeah, I'm grateful. Yeah, that I mean, thank you. That that all makes a lot of sense to me. Briefly about the the kids comment because that's obviously something I think about too. We've got one kid and another arriving within the week as we're taping this. And you know, Lisa Miller out of Brown or out of Columbia University, not a Christian uh, researcher, but has done mm-hmm. a lot of research on spirituality um and she claims that it's the single Basically, this is the single strongest indicator of negative indicator of depression. So Mm. inversely correlated with depression. And she has a whole book about spirituality and children called The Spiritual Child, uh, which I would recommend people check out if that sounds interesting. But for her, it's just spirituality is belief in or connection to something like that connection to a higher power that is loving and guiding. Uh, mm-hmm. And that's it. That's the whole definition. It, mm-hmm. you know, it doesn't have to be the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Mm-hmm. You know, it doesn't have to be the the Trinitarian Christian God, but it's something, it's something up there. And, and you, you, know, make, you know, I'm not a child psychologist. I'm not a developmental yeah. psychologist. I want to be clear there, but you know, I, I've, I've seen children clients and I have a child and that sense of safety, that sense of purpose and, sort of, you know, there's language in the Bible of like being under God's wings, you know, that, Mm -hmm. that kind of like embrace. I mean, that, 
just as a poetic image is mm-hmm. fucking powerful. Mm-hmm. And man, yeah. I hope my kids, I hope I can help them feel that. Now, what some people say is, well, that's a benevolent fiction to yeah. which I say, maybe mm-hmm. I would say you have at best 50, 50 odds that that's a fiction. And uh, then we'll die and find out or not find out that it was a fiction. In the meanwhile, I don't want my kids getting depressed. Yeah. So <laughs> I'll take it. If, if it ends up being a benevolent fiction, cool. Worth the trade-off. I'll be wrong yeah. about that. Yeah. I'll, I'll be wrong. It's a very practical way to. <laughs> yeah. But, and some people don't like yeah. that. Even yeah. like a lot of my Christian listeners who even that are more liberal on, on the, on the left end of things are like, Dan, it's not always about research and data. And like, you know, there's, there's risk and all that stuff. And I, I don't think that those two are mutually incompatible. Um, I think we make educated choices constantly and we really don't do a lot of things. Well, I don't know. Maybe some people do a lot of things without thinking at all about what the consequences are, but most humans don't. We do weigh risk and reward cost and benefit. I mean, this language works Mm -hmm. because it is true to our experience and you're, I, one other thing I'll respond to in what you said, you get one life, go where it feels like home. Like I've been back in church after three or four years away and it does feel like home. And mm-hmm. I don't, and I believe, I, I believe literally or straightforwardly or in the plain sense of the words, a lot less of what I say in the service than I used to. Uh, but man, it feels like home. And, mm-hmm. and for me, and I don't have, I, I did have religious trauma that I have worked through, but it was around end time stuff, which I think was easier to bracket off mm-hmm. than other things might've been. And it was never mm-hmm. really my job as well. Mm-hmm. And so for me now, I, I just do, you know, confession of sin and take the Eucharist and, mm-hmm. and like call to worship and reading through you know, the readings and I'm just like, yeah, I'm fucking in. Like, this is good. This is good for Mm -hmm. me. And and I feel with my children, I will be quite able to weed out 90% of the shit. Mm -hmm. There are still going to be immature people involved and and they're going to have to learn to deal with immature people anyway. So, you know, we can, I can help them learn to identify those people as we identify them along the way, but they're not going to get the kind of theology I got. I mean, they're not, they're not going to get that. Yeah. So you're not sending them to, no, summer camp. No, they're not going to go to evangelical <laughs> summer camp. So, you know, like I, I yeah. and that's not even going to take that much work to keep them away from that stuff. Like that would be fairly easy. Yeah, no, I mean, this is the practical part of my life. Like it's all fine and good for me to like talk about my experiences and turn them into Instagram posts or whatever. But but in the day to day life, like I put my phone down and I go pick up my kids from school and they're nine and seven. So we're like right. In it. in it. And yeah. there's this wow. sense of like time, it, like we are running out of time <laughs> to give them this any kind of foundation. And so, mm-hmm. you know, we've been really honest with them. I mean, obviously, like I picked my daughter up from preschool that day and she saw me. We, she was in yeah. the car with me. She was with me those months. And let me tell you, she is not a fan <laughs> of Christianity after yeah. seeing yeah. what it did to her mom. And, um, mm. you know, so with both of our kids, we have a, a son as well. And, we have just tried to be really honest and respectful because we have a lot of family members who oh, yeah. are very evangelical um, and we just try to respect them. We try to tell them, you know, 
how to approach people wanting to tell them about their beliefs. You know, I want them to be prepared. They have a lot of friends that I think someday will probably try to witness to them. I mean, we want to, yeah. you know, build in a sense of skepticism. But I think for us, you know, there's a sense of like you can only you can only parent your kids from who you are. And so for me, because my trauma was around worship services, it is very difficult to go find a church. That's not a way that we can give our kids community. So we have like really scratched our heads and had to find other ways to give them community. And we're just, I feel like we're all just kind of like working on it as a team. Like we, you know, I, one of my kids said to me the other day and it just broke my heart. They were having a really hard day and they're like, well, mommy, at least when you were a kid, you could pray about your hard day and feel better. And I was like, oh my gosh. Dagger. (laughs) Like, first of all, like high five. Cause like what emotional prescience Uh that you just like displayed, like pat on the back to me for that. But, um, No, ever since then, I've been thinking like, how do I, like, I want them to have a sense of like, when they're alone, they're not alone. I don't want them to feel alone. I think like, how do I get them, you know, again, back to this conversation, how do I get them to find that voice in themselves? That's okay. Do I try to like tell them it's their own voice, but like, eh, I don't know if brain developmentally they can like go there. So we've been like coming up with like, what should we let? And I was like, do you guys think there is some kind of God, even if it's not the Christian God? And they were both like, yeah, I do. And I was like, mm-hmm. you know what? Me too. So like, maybe we should just come up with our own name. So then we just got silly and we we're like, like, what if we name God 7-Eleven? And so the next time at dinner, we're like, thank you, 7-Eleven for this food and for taking care of us. You know, yeah. it's like, that's sort of like, that's the only card I have to play right now. So I'm mm-hmm. playing it and it's like, it's hard. I hope you won't be offended when I say that I think even though I know your kids are in good hands, I'm not expressing like deep concern about them, but added to the list of costs of the experiences that you had is this, Mm -hmm. that now there is a less straightforward path for you and your husband to give your kids something that you genuinely want to give them, not out of guilt in my circles, I don't think this is true of you. I, I And I, it's really helpful to hear more context of your story because your decisions in light of your story make a lot of sense to me. I think that there can be a kind of a, almost like a gleeful, uh, fuck all that mm-hmm. attitude mm-hmm. that I think misses the fact that it's not clear to me that if we, for instance, started over, that we would do better than Christianity for our kids. Right. 100%. Like that's that we've got 2000 years here of trial and error. And obviously some stuff has stuck around that does not work, yeah. but we have a pretty reasonable sense of what that stuff is. At least most of it. I'm sure we have blind spots like anybody, but like, you know, uh, th- starting fresh has benefits there. You might find some novel stuff and and probably you won't be as efficient because, yeah. you know, there'll be just diff- new mistakes to make or, or new yeah. dead ends or something like that that won't that won't work. You know, that's that's still like a cost benefit thing, because that doesn't mean you should take your kids to, to church. It just means yeah. I, I, I like that you 
uh, that you and your partner are are like cognizant of like, ah, there that's a cost too. Yeah. And what can we do here? I mean, that's yeah. that part makes me really stoked and, and makes me feel very hopeful for your kids um, that you guys are putting in effort and creativity around it. Um, yeah. And engaging them in that conversation. That part's great. Yeah. I mean, I think you described it perfectly. It's a cost and it's not a cost we signed up for. Like mm-hmm. I wasn't ever looking to say like, you know, someday I would love to stop believing in all this, to lose a community and to lose a career. That sounds really great. It mm. happened though. And so we are like any family after like a traumatizing or life altering event, like you gotta, you're like, all right. We got to rebuild. What do we have? What, you know, abilities and limitations do we have? And like, what can we do with this? And how can we make something beautiful now? And so I think that is, you know, not in so many words. We're not like late at night reciting poetry to each other about the state of our lives. But I think in a sense, that is sort of like what we're trying to do. You know, we do have a, I'm grateful to have a partner who is on the same page as me, who feels the same way that we can share this and talk about it, especially as regards our children and, um, you know, how they see the world. But there's also some of it where I have, I realized I kind of also had an overdeveloped sense of my role in their lives, wanting to prevent everything from happening to them. And there's been a little bit of that that I've had to release. Like I can't help that they had parents who had to leave religion. And there's a little bit of it like, yeah, they're going to have some work to do. There's only so much I've had time to do. You know, it's been five years. They've gotten older in that time. And I have missed some opportunities for some of that development. And there's not anything I can do to make up for that time. All I can do is keep doing my best to heal and do my best as I go. But there's some of it. They might have some issues with depression because they didn't get that formed. And like, we're just going to have to deal with it. And I can't take all of that responsibility. You know, like they will have some stuff. They're going to have to work out and take responsibility for someday as well. Yeah, of course, that's that is true of all of us. Just swap out the particulars, right? (laughs) Right. Uh, Right. All of our kids are getting an incomplete picture based (laughs) on who we are, what has happened to us, you know, all all that stuff. So, you know, it's and I, I, I hope you didn't feel at all like I was I'm not trying to. I'm not trying no, to like not at all. I appreciated you phrasing it like, yeah, it's just another cost. You know, we got to figure out what to do now. Yeah. I, I think an honest appraisal of life is it's to move beyond that magical thinking, which I think is present in evangelical Christianity. Mm-hmm. But I would also argue is probably present in most pop culture Yeah, that you can just I mean, I think it's very present in daytime television. Uh, mm-hmm. And all these Dr. Oz shows and, you know, all this stuff of like, here's a quick fix uh, for this perennial human problem. <laughs> I think it's like That's the like, premise no. of the of influencer culture and in any online digital marketing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like now in seven second sound bites. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, Joy, thanks so much. Uh, just a just a real pleasure to chat. Yeah, thank you so much. I I really appreciated our conversation and I appreciated your openness to hearing my perspective. I have done a few of these where I feel like people come in with preconceptions and want to, you know, put me in a category and I'm like, mm, it's 
kind of why you got out of this game. <laughs> Do uh, not be yep. categorized. Thanks uh, for thanks for your... reminding me why I left. Yeah, yeah, right. I appreciate your openness to just letting a letting a person tell her story. So it's a big world. One of the nice things about leaving evangelical Christianity is feeling, and I'm sure you'll share this, just so much less uh, turf entitlement. You know, like I got to defend this piece of totally. land that we've been holding, you know, like I've been watching a lot of World War II shit. So that's kind of how mm-hmm. I'm thinking. But, mm-hmm. you know, like I just no, like either if anything, I think that the only thing I feel sort of beholden to is like whatever the best research says about X, mm-hmm. you know, and, and even that can change, of course. Mm-hmm. But like then I'm like, well, I feel some responsibility to like alert people to that. Right. Uh, right. But that's not, that's those claims are usually at odds with evangelical Christianity yeah. anyway. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> not all of them, of course, but yeah. yeah, we'll put a, we'll put a link to your, your Instagram handle in the show notes since okay. that's where I found you. If people want to follow you yeah. there and follow any other of your links from there. All and right. thanks so much, Joy. Yeah. Thanks Dan. This has been fun. <laughs>